The opinions expressed on this podcast should be construed only as the opinions of the respective opiners, and some content may not be appropriate for Little Dragons. Discretion is advised. I can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work. Determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that's broadcast for the badass with a brain and hopefully a sense of humor. Episode 60 released in Jesus, it's called January 2015 starts. Ow. Oh. Happy New Year, Hiatics. It's good to be back. 2015. Hardly believe it. God, I'm old. I'm getting older by the day. Yes, that's right. Do a little happy dance. A little victory celebration. As we all should. Oh, well, sorry. Let me, let, me, uh, let me start off by saying I promised this show out uh, before the holidays. But, uh, one, it's the freaking holidays. You know, the holidays. All the running around, all the kids, all the wrapping paper on the floor, all that other BS. Uh, We had a big New Year's Day party that took us three days to dig out from under. But, hey, a giant pot of chili was served for one and all who came. Um, Yeah, so that kind of got in the way. But the other reason I sat on it for a minute was uh, it didn't seem to make much sense to me to, uh, upon reflection that is, to drop two episodes in a week and then maybe leave you hanging for an extended period of time. Uh, So on that note, let me go ahead and make a preemptive retraction for something you haven't heard yet. This is going to come up at the end of the show, but Bruce joined us and uh, at the end we were talking a little bit about New Year's resolutions or whatever, and I let slip in a moment of irrational exuberance that I had a goal of getting the show back to weekly. Um, All along, I intended to say (laughs) bi-weekly, honestly. No, I think uh, twice a month is manageable right now. So, um, but that is a goal. And uh, I'm going to strive to do that. We're making a few changes around here, kind of developing as we go, as always. And you know what, folks? A weekly show is not entirely out of the question. Who knows? Maybe this time next year, that will be a reality. Um, I'm going to, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to put up a Patreon account for us. And, uh, you know, if we hit certain goals, I don't see why weekly would be undoable. But that's for then. And we're here now. So, you know. That, that's my preemptive uh, psychic retraction for you. So when you hear that come up later, just realize I'm resolving to get you a bi-weekly, twice-monthly show. And, uh, you know, we're working on more plug-and-play segments over here, more flexible recording, kind of trying to tighten up the show, get the runtime, you know, consistently down around an hour, hour, and 20 minutes, um, which, you know, those epic two-hour shows plus are fun, but I can't even listen to them in one setting, so I know it must be trouble for you guys. Plus, I think you all might appreciate more regularity and less hiata bolus. Um, yeah. So what are we doing tonight, today, whenever you choose to listen to this? Well, first up, we've got John Simons, who uh, 
Bruce came on to help me talk to him. Uh, he's the head of security for Five Finger Death Punch and also further proof that dynamite comes in small packages. That's right, folks. You're going to enjoy this one. And I want to really thank Bruce for taking the lead, letting me kind of kick back and be color commentary for once. Uh, I enjoyed that, but he has intimate knowledge of the subject at hand. How intimate? We'll explore that during the interview. Uh, but uh, John's a great guy, and I'll let him talk for himself here coming up. And uh, after that, another Marshall Brain segment from Jeff Westfall. This one's pretty interesting, kind of a thought experiment. Experiment. It's uh, what if Tokyo never rose, and uh, it's about the effects of uh, you know the Pacific Theater, World War II, all the political changes uh, in that area on the development of Asian martial arts, and what might have happened if things had gone differently. So uh, check that out. I think you'll find it interesting. And then of course Bruce and I will come back to tidy up at the end of the show. And uh, that'll get your high yaw started for 2015, folks. Uh, it's been a blast. March will be three years this podcast has been going. So thanks to all the contributors, all the listeners, all you people. Grateful, grateful, grateful as always. All right. That's enough of my blathering. I've got to get back out to the uh, propane heated, uh, freaky tiki protected, all brand new 2015 version of the Champagne Lounge. See if I Hi, Yahoo's. We are back, and today we have John Simons in the virtual studio with us. Uh, John is a black belt in jujitsu, among other things. Uh, he's a level four Army combatives uh, teacher, instructor, uh, which calls me back to the John Rankin thing, but I'll get around to that in a minute. Um, uh, <laughs> trained with Randy Williams, also a former guest on the show. And uh, a distinction that no one else has had here before, he is the head of security for Five Finger Death Punch. So uh, welcome to the show. How you doing? No, we're doing great over here, and we're glad to have you on. So let's, uh, uh, I forgot to mention, you also run a school. What, tell us a little bit about your school off the top, Odyssey. Uh, Odyssey Martial Arts Academy. Yes. It's in King William County, Virginia. Um, it's a mixed martial arts, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and military combative school. Um, I've had it nah, for about 15 years. I've been running my own academy. Yeah, awesome. you, you teach Wing Chun as well there, yeah? Yes, as we part of the, As part of the main as part of our mixed martial arts, right. Okay. Cool. Excellent. So how, how long have you been doing that? Uh, 15 years, done? you just told us, Bruce. 15 years? I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're, 15 years. But you look like you're only about 20 years old. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I hit 30 just a couple weeks ago. Oh. Holy shit. No, that's fortunate. <laughs> right? That's we know what the alternative is. <laughs> So, so when you were when you were a fifteen year old kid, you were teaching. Yeah, martial arts. I, uh, I was. Yeah, fifteen years old. I think I was in the tenth grade. I was in high school. 
And um, me and my dad, we started a lawn care company. Uh-huh. And we got contracts doing like weed eating and lawn care. Saved up for about a year. And then we put a down payment on a facility. And we just figured it was going to fly or it wasn't. And right. after about the first six months, it really blew up. And I actually had to get a bigger facility. So your dad was into martial arts too, I'm taking. Uh, not necessarily into martial arts. He okay. was always kind of a brawler, fighter kind of guy. And, right. Uh, <laughs> he, he was... You know, he wanted me to get into realistic martial arts, so he's he's primarily the reason I got into jujitsu as early as I did. So you you trained some other martial arts before that, though, right? Be- yeah, I trained uh, Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do. Um, I did a little bit of Tang Sudo, uh, Judo, and mm-hmm. I got into jujitsu really heavy right after Hoist won the first UFC. All right. So um, when was that? Around ninety four, ninety three. Ninety four. Yep. Yeah, ninety three. Yeah. It had already happened, and. I remember my mom actually went to a video rental store and rented the first UFC on VHS. After. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I got involved in it. Nice. So, and and you eventually be were a, you trained quite a lot with Hoyt Gracie at some yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of the few guys from from the original group that had the pleasure of training with all the Gracies when they were all under one roof. Um, but yeah, Hoist was my primary instructor. I trained with Hoist for. I want to say six or seven years. That's um, a good amount of time. Got my, got my purple belt from Hoist. Okay, uh, purple belt. Wow. Yeah. So the the belt ranking for for those who don't know in in jujitsu, how does that work? Um, it's white, blue, purple, brown, black, with four degrees on each belt up until black. Right. And and how do you like? How do you? There's more than one kind of jujitsu, though, right? I mean, there's. Yeah. So how, how do the the Traditionally, uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu is where it all started. Um, and then the, the Gracie jiu-jitsu really came to the forefront when the first UFC hit, which everybody now calls Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh-huh. Uh, Gracie jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's, it's the same thing. It's just whether you have the rights to use the Gracie name or not. Right. So. And, cool. Oh, go ahead, Bruce. Oh, I, and I was, I was just going to ask about the style of jiu-jitsu that you teach is guerrilla style. Yeah, Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu, which is a um, a spinoff of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that my instructor, Dave Camarillo, who promoted me to Black Belt, uh, he founded the system. Uh, the main distinction between uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu is the influence of Judo and wrestling uh, uh-huh. in the system, where Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is primarily for self-defense, and it's all about the basics. Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu takes it to the next level. Um, with takedowns, throws, uh, you almost bend or even break the rules of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu sometimes in Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu. Huh. Okay. Is, uh, is Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu still sport-oriented, or are they mixing combatives, you know? Uh, I mean, it, it depends on what aspect of it you want to train. Like, you know, you try to meet the demands of the battlefield. If you're going into the UFC, then you, you, you train it for that purpose. There's lots of guys that have done Gorilla Jiu-Jitsu that fight in the UFC, uh, some notable ones are um, John Fitch. Mm-hmm. He's a guerrilla jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, Mike okay. Swick, uh, UFC heavyweight champion, Cain Velasquez. Nice. Um, there are a lot of those guys uh, followed Dave in his pursuit of guerrilla jiu-jitsu. And one of the things that John Fitch and Dave Camarillo and your, yourself have in common is Army combatives training also yeah, um, self-defense. That, that I actually uh, got tied into that with Hoist Gracie in the very beginning. Um combatives got reinstated into the military. They were doing a system called lines, uh-huh. which was 
pretty much punch, chop, kick, claw on a line and stab them with the bayonet type stuff. And the right. military decided they were wasting their time training that way. So uh, they sent out a guy by the name of Matt Larson, who's the president of the Army Combatives Program. Mm-hmm. And uh, they decided that Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai kickboxing, wrestling, stick fighting uh, was all very important for hand-to-hand combat on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Well, at the beginning of the system, there weren't enough qualified instructors to spread the system throughout the masses of the entire military, worldwide even. Um, so they seeked out expert instructors. And Hoist has always called me one of the best instructors he's ever taught. So he shipped me to Fort Benning, Georgia, where I started doing military combatives training. I was the first civilian uh, in the country to become level four combative certified. And uh, also the first civilian to teach combatives to civilian law enforcement. All right. Nice. Uh, do you know John Rankin? We had him on the show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's a great guy. He's been in combatives for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love it when we get little callbacks like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. John's a good dude. Sweet. Oh, no, you keep going, Bruce. You're doing great. This is the first time Bruce has ever taken the lead on an interview over here, and I'm kind of enjoying it. I like talking to Bruce. Go for it, Bruce. Yeah, you know, we John and I have spent countless hours talking about martial arts, you know, when we travel. You know, he's, as as was mentioned earlier, the head of security for Five Finger Death Punch, which is a band that I also work with. And, you know, we have... Full disclosure. Many, many hours... <laughs> To, to talk martial arts and you know we'd stand out in the parking lot at 3 a.m and swat each other around you know he trips me and makes me fall down and i swat him on my head on his head with my elbow you know because he's short <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you get the bruce blanket sometimes well you know it, it's it's interesting uh touring with five finger death punch and bruce is we've seen martial arts all over the world we always try to stop somewhere and yeah. either train at somebody's gym or experience some different culture of martial arts and we run into lots of guys, too, that come into what we call the Death Punch Dojo, right. which is our mobile training facility. <laughs> I get one box now. I got reduced yep. down to one box. But, oh. oh, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it wasn't Bruce's choice. Well, right. you know, but, it sort uh, of was. No, it's, it's, it's interesting, all the different people you run into worldwide. and um, Yeah, either- just uh, pick one of your favorites. I mean, you guys, uh, Bruce will bring in tales of this all the time. But, you know, what was one of your favorite uh, little drop-ins you got to do because of all this worldwide touring? Um, you know, I, I went to a school, I forget the exact title of the academy, but, uh, it was a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. We were in Australia mm, yeah. uh, and you remember that Bruce. Mm-hmm. And I, I went into this academy and it was kind of an underground dojo kind of thing. It wasn't, uh, it looked like an old school fight club type of environment. Nice. Yeah. Bear, bear cinder block it, it walls. Funny. And, yeah. yeah and, you know, it smelled like somebody died, but <laughs> you know, you, you go in and it was, it was a couple brown belts, a couple purple belts. I was having a good time and. I rarely have a hard time handling myself. I mean, I'm 135 pounds, five foot five, so everybody's big to me when I go into academies. Yeah, you're used to it. Yeah, I'm totally used to it at this point. <laughs> but some of the best guys in the world are my size, like uh, Jeff Glover, Kyle Terra. Yep. Um, all those guys are incredible. Um, but I went against this this one huge Brazilian black belt, and I think he tapped me in like the first eight seconds that we clinched up. Uh-huh. And that's that, that's yeah. that's the most vivid tap I've ever had because I, I was. <laughs> I want to blame it on I was only half paying attention, but as soon as we tagged hands, he just tied me up and tapped me. And I remember my my mentality changing when we were training, and that was 
probably the most serious training session I've had on all the tours I've done. Nice. Nice. Was was your first question, all right, show me how you did that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he did show it to me. Actually, I remembered that technique. Awesome. It's good to feel challenged or overwhelmed. Yeah. I was definitely overwhelmed. Like when when Ty you know comes out and visits us when we're in Oklahoma for example yeah, and you yeah, know we get to IK, roll he's a, a really good uh Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with the Gracies he comes into the dojo yeah. um yeah we I, I can't he hides even behind my back all the time all the great guys that have come in <laughs> awesome well you know while we're on it uh and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but uh, you know could you pick your favorite maybe flaky one that you ran into while you were out there you can admit names or just um, tell me to no F i don't off. really have a, a flaky guy i mean i have one in mind but i'm not gonna we, say we met some pretty afraid strange <laughs> wing chung yeah i'm not i'm not gonna I don't, I don't i very rarely uh talk trash on anyone so i wouldn't um no, no. Out. Now, I do have one. It wasn't when we were on tour, but the flakiest experience I've ever had ever in my life Awesome. is uh, I went to, to teach a seminar, actually, at one of my students' school in uh, Phoenix City, uh, which is just outside of uh, Atlanta, funny enough. Right. And uh, I was looking for the school. I had never been there before. It was a new facility. And I saw this place called Tiger Jiu-Jitsu, but it was, it was Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm like, hey, these guys have to know uh, – where this martial arts school I'm looking for is. They got to know. Uh-huh. So we went in and, uh, you know, they got their people there or whatnot. And I asked the instructor where the school was. And he's like, yeah, he told me the directions. He's like, hey, man, when you find out what you're looking for or better yet, what you're not looking for, come back and see me. <laughs> and he didn't know who I was. I wasn't trying to walk into his school announcing myself all up uh-huh. and whatnot. Sure. But uh, anyway, so I get to my, my student school and I'm like, hey, man, this guy was talking some crazy shit about you. And uh, you seriously should come back with me. Let's go back and see this guy. He invited me. So uh, he invited you. Yeah. So we didn't. We, we we taught the seminar, packed up, went back to the school. And when my student walked in the door, they knew who he was. Uh huh. And they were like, "Oh shit!" They had no idea I was his instructor. Right. And they had no idea I even trained. So they got into this little debate thing back and forth. To make a long story short, he invited me out on the floor to. Uh, so he could express to me how I couldn't put him on the ground or tap him. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So first thing we do is we grapple. I end up grabbing this dude. I take him down fairly easy and I arm lock him. But when I arm lock him, he, he wouldn't tap. Oh. He really wouldn't tap. So I ended up popping his elbow about three different times. The guy stood up. He stuck his arm in his gi. And I was like, let's go again. You won't do that again. You got lucky. And I was like, all right, well, we'll go again. I took him down, grabbed his other arm, arm locked his other arm, popped that arm. And he was literally... He had nothing to tap with at that point. Yeah. And he's like, well, you know, we have a high tolerance for pain. He's like, here, why don't you hit me? And uh, I said, okay, I'll hit you. Where? My dad stood up and he was like, no, no, don't hit him. him." And uh, I was like, no, I'm not going to punch him in the face. And the guy's like, no, 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 hit hit me in the face if you can. So I acted like I was going to punch him and he threw up a block. And when he threw up the block, I did like a Napoleon Dynamite and just smacked him in his forehead. <laughs> and uh, you know, I knew he was going to go like that. Right. And uh, so then he was like, well, we do conditioning drills and here, kick me in my leg. I've been doing Muay Thai kickboxing my whole life. I've got a vicious Thai kick. Right. <laughs> and uh, I will attest to his shins being like, like steel. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I go, all right, I'm going to kick you. I kicked the guy. And when I kicked him, 
his face got really white and pale and he started sweating and he fell on the ground. He's going into and, shock. <laughs> yeah, he was going into shock and his wife runs in the building of like, what did you do to him? I'm like, you told me to kick him. <laughs> he asked for- You kicked him? So uh, Was he, he down there like the Black Knight in Monty Python, like asking so, to come back so he could bite your heel or oh, something? Man, he, he looked like he was in a casket. He couldn't stand up and his arms were all <laughs> folded up. And uh, then at the end, you know, I told the guy, I'm like, hey, you know, by the way, I've been doing jujitsu my whole life, so don't feel bad about the arm locks. <laughs> feel bad about not tapping yeah. out. Learn yeah, something. But, I mean, that kind of goes into a little bit of what you were saying about the differences between uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It was that much of a difference in state of mind. Right. Right. Um, it was bizarre to me, actually. I'd never really been in a Japanese jiu-jitsu school and sparred. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and so many people are, so many of the great martial arts we talk to, like yourself, have blended stuff from all kinds of different styles to do together. I mean, mixed martial arts is the rage today and it's what's working out for people. Um, you know, uh, do you see more of a bridge eventually growing between these ultra traditional schools that have, you know, sort of their blinders on and working in isolation? Do you think it's going to drag us all into the sunlight eventually? Well, you know, I, I think, and I have nothing against traditional based martial arts at all, but I think instead of them adapting and, and growing as traditional mar- martial arts, they've uh, kind of went to the industry side of it and bought these mixed martial arts packages mm-hmm. and then installed them into their schools. Right. Uh, and you'll see where they've got some program like NAPMA or something, and they'll be like, yeah, now we've got real mixed martial arts, and it's a picture of Chuck Liddell <laughs> wearing gloves in Dick Sporting Goods or something. Right. And they'll have a guy that did a, a web chat conference for two hours and got his – MMA black belt through their program and now they run mixed martial arts in their traditional school. So they're just trying to make money off of it really. Sure. Uh, Cause mixed martial arts is the biggest thing going right now in the entire martial arts industry. So how, how do you define, sorry to interrupt, but how do you define mixed martial arts? Well, with the, the stereotypical template of one, mixed martial one arts. moment, <laughs> 30 seconds, just put it in the closet. <laughs> How do you in the toilet? Put the lid down. How do you define <laughs> mixed martial them. arts? Like what's to 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 you? Because because well, most and let me just before you answer, most people would would say it's Brazilian jiu jitsu with boxing with re, well with muay thai and with wrestling. You know, boxing correct. muay thai sort of go hand in hand. I would call that the stereotypical recipe for mixed martial arts mm-hmm. um, that everybody has a go to and. I also put that into a almost an ultimate fighting package, like UFC style of mixed martial arts. Yeah. Um, now, to me, that's not what mixed martial arts is. Mixed martial arts to me has always been much, much, much more than the standard template used in the UFC. Um, I mean, mixed martial arts can be anything. Like I, I do Wing Chun as one of my primary martial arts, and most mixed martial artists – that do UFC stuff wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole. Yeah, they they would laugh at you. I mean, I'm they laughing laugh, at you yeah. right now just because you said you do Wing Chun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you do Wing Chun. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you say Wing Chun, and they're like, "What?" Yeah. So, yeah, and I've done numerous different uh, traditional martial arts. I did uh, Brazilian capoeira for a while, mm-hmm. um, and that's another one of those martial arts that everybody's like, "Oh, that's dance fighting and whatever." Right. But as a as a real mixed martial artist, I think you um, you learn to take the best of each system Mm -hmm. and you realize what you need to be as a complete mixed martial artist. As an example, like what martial art would you not like to have more agility in? Well, Mm -hmm. is excellent for agility. 
if you're learning to stop a double leg takedown, no, capoeira is probably not going to help you there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can take from these martial arts. And I often point back to Wing Chun because uh, it's it's into what I call a bridge range, mm-hmm. which is a bridge between striking and grappling. And if you watch UFC fighters, that's typically a range they rush through. Right. Like they're striking. It's great. And then they kind of bite their back teeth and run in and grab the guy. Right. And it's really due to their lack of experience and ignorance in the trapping range. Mm-hmm. And if they knew more and sparred more in that individual range, they would be better. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's common sense as a Wing Chun artist that also does Muay Thai kickboxing and wrestling and judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, but I think when the Gracies came in and did the whole, you know, grappling is more dominant than uh, traditional martial arts – I think it directly pointed at Kung Fu and karate and Taekwondo. And I think it left such a bad taste in the mixed martial arts world Mm -hmm. that it takes a real mixed martial arts purist if there's ever such a thing. I I grew up in the era of mixed martial arts when it was in its development, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and I never started with any singular martial arts. I started in Jeet Kune Do, which was Bruce Lee's original first form of martial arts, which was mixed martial arts before mixed martial arts. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? So um, I, I have a little different opinion on it than I think most mixed martial arts guys you'll talk to. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, you make a good point that, uh, you know, some people, and I've heard this from other people before, like they're going to some of these traditional arts to get in ranges like that. Something sporting like boxing or Muay Thai doesn't have a lot of, you know, clinch work and, right. or trapping or right in that zone. And uh, so, you know, maybe this is a way to sort of start easing it back into the picture and take some of the stigma off of it, you know. Well, you know, the sad part about it all is there's there's not. All right. So what happens with mixed martial arts is because it's on such a platform, it has to happen in some big match for people to want to start doing it. Mm-hmm. Like. Right. You remember when uh, Pettis did that kick off the cage? Oh uh, yeah, the cage jump. Yeah, all yeah. of a sudden everybody's putting out YouTube videos about how to kick off the cage, and I'm like, <laughs> "What the fuck, man? Are you kidding me right now?" Like, look, I liked it; it was cool. I lost my shit when it happened. <laughs> sure, like, it's low probability though. Once you get the surprise effect out of the picture, that's yeah, not going to work very often anymore. <laughs> but it was cool. But <laughs> but it was nice trying it. You know? Yeah, big boom happened, and yeah. then everybody started doing it, just like. Uh, when the wrestlers in the UFC started coming in and, and dominating everyone, yeah. all of a sudden wrestling became this big thing. And it's it's really a fad in what happens in a big match as to what people think is effective. And I think that's a horrible recipe for trying to build your game. I, um, I think a lot of the sport MMA people are coming around and, and searching traditional martial arts I for agree. the next level. You know, because everyone's so good at the sport right now. The the skill level that of, of your amateur competitor is insane right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Let alone your professional. Yeah. You know, I mean Yeah, man. It's I mean now most amateur fighters are better than professional fighters were ten years ago. Yeah. And so it's it's, it's um, frightening to feel how how average it is to be a really skilled martial artists these days yeah yeah (laughs) now i I believe in the evolution of mixed martial arts but i do also believe it's also uh backtracked in several fashions like uh well if you look at it and people try to say it's because one person's art countered the other like that guy's jujitsu was good enough to beat his jujitsu or 
right. whatever. I, I, because of my field of work, I get to travel around and see all these different schools and, and you can't claim it as an art. It's not really an art. It's what you do in the classroom, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of these schools are skipping out on things that were working back in the day, but they changed them now. And if they had just kind of stuck to the root of the art, um, I, Hoist Gracie goes on and on about this. And I don't agree with everything Hoist says all the time, but I do believe that. We'll have to ask he, more about that later. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you have to study that singular art to get good enough at it for it to be part of your toolbox. Right. I don't think you can do a piece of submission work in some mixed martial arts class and jujitsu and all of a sudden you've got an arm bar. Um, right. That takes- was my problem with the way a lot of Jeet Kune Do was when I was younger was they didn't have a real foundation in anything. They just had a bunch of little techniques that they had cobbled together and the foundation work wasn't there. Yeah, well, that was, that's a very conceptual art. You know, it's yeah. nothing really firm. But it was cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think mixed martial arts is backtracked in, in that asset. Like, um, like boxing for a while was getting really tight in the UFC. Like you watched Frankie Edgar and BJ Penn when they fought, mm-hmm. you know, that was a great boxing match they had. And then <laughs> that kind of went away and it, it all travels in, in, in fad and what's, what's cool. What's hip. That's. So that's I, I, I noticed Anderson Silva, speaking of fads, um, hitting a Mook Jong doing some yeah. Wing Chun the other and day on, on the YouTube. Yep. Nice. What do you yep. think the next big fad's going to be? You see anything coming over the horizon? What's going to be um, hot this time next year in MMA? Um, if I had to say anything at all, I would say the the next big level, I think, the next rollover is probably going to be in the boxing. Yeah. I think we're going to see people's hands starting to improve. Now you've been um, working on your boxing lately. I've been working a lot on my boxing, yeah. yeah. Um, and is it is it more the handwork or is it more the footwork of boxing that really helps out in, in the – um, in I don't, a package. I, all right. So when you, when you learn boxing, you, you can't just go in and do boxing because the ranges, you know, like, like Bruce Lee explained in Jeet Kune Do, there's five ranges of fighting, right? There's punching, kicking, trapping, grabbing, and ground fighting, right? Well, the stances and the, the things that you can do in mixed martial arts are so broad, like takedowns and leg kicks. And so your, your stance has to modify. So I think proper boxing training in a mixed martial arts atmosphere Right. is important. Just because you go into a boxing gym and put on headgear and boxing gloves where nobody's trying to kick you or take you down, your boxing's not really getting better. Right. You're actually numbing yourself to people throwing kicks and trying to take you down the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I think learning to box when somebody can take you down and when they can kick you in the legs, I think all that's very important. Um, and I think as more people do that, you'll, you'll see a whole different change. But I'm not saying that you can't go to a boxing camp or go spend some time with a good instructor just boxing. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a, a mixed martial artist as a whole. Right. Th- it'll never work for you if you don't train it in that atmosphere. Sure. I mean, and what would be, I'm, I'm assuming you've done this, uh, what would be the main changes you saw from taking it from a strictly striking art over to blending it into mixed martial arts? The stances get wider. What happens? Yeah, well, definitely the stances get wider. Your center of gravity gets lower. Okay. And it, it depends on what range you're in. Right. You know, if you're out in a kickboxing range, you can be a little more light on your feet, you know, moving a little faster. You know, you got to plant your feet a little more when you're ready to punch. And then obviously your whole center of balance changes as soon as you clench. Um, mm-hmm. And that all happens so fast. Right. <laughs> it's rapid. It's in and out the whole time. And um, 
it's easily missed in boxing. Go watch a boxing match. When I, when that would happen in the UFC, they lean on each other. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'll lay there and wait. You can't lay there and wait in MMA. So why would you do it in <laughs> MMA training? Yeah, good when, point. When's the last time ever in a UFC match where you saw two dudes standing up, leaning against each other, punching each other in the kidney? Yeah, it doesn't no. happen never, unless ever. they're on their way to something else. They're usually happen. scrabbling for underhooks. Or, yeah, go you know. ahead and lean on that guy and see what happens in an MMA match. <laughs> right. Shit'll never happen. <clears throat> so you have, with, with your school, Odyssey Martial Arts, Odyssey MMA, you mm-hmm. have a competition team that does a lot of Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournaments and also MMA fighting, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, my team's called Team Odyssey. Team Odyssey. Uh, yep. And uh, they're, they, they've kind of made their name as being the number one youth competition team in the entire country mm-hmm. um, and that's for brazilian jiu-jitsu and for mixed martial arts are the same athletes competing in both arenas no um two separate divisions well, t- teams. primarily my kids do most of the brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff through uh naga and grapplers quest and other big uh you know rated tournaments um mm-hmm. sure that's for the kids primarily the brazilian jiu-jitsu and then my adults tend to lean more towards the mixed martial arts fighting, both amateur and professional. Um, and then I kind of spearheaded the youth in doing mixed martial arts competitions. How's and that's, that? that's, that's still kind of rare. Like uh, you, you don't see a lot of that where a kid can fight on a card that adults are fighting on in a mixed martial arts tournament where they have one match that night. Mm-hmm. You know, they're selling tickets. Everybody's showing up to watch the fight. Um People are either for the kids or against the kids. Mm-hmm. Some people think mixed martial arts is too brutal for yeah. kids to do, which I say is total bullshit. <laughs> the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard in my life because you've got kids that box in boxing leagues. There's jujitsu tournaments. There's kids wrestling. Uh, there's kids jujitsu, kids judo. Uh, there's all these things, kids yeah. everything. So what's the big deal when you put them all together and, and you-, you change the rules? Like you say – like, kids can't knee each other in the head or elbow each other in the head. Right. Or, you make it safer for you them. You make it safe. You yeah. put, you know, eight-ounce gloves on them instead of four-ounce gloves. And right. Stuff like that. And it's it's no more brutal than anything else. What it really is is that promoters are scared that they won't get the ticket sales for their shows because kids are on the card. <laughs> um, you know, that, that tends to happen. But when you get your kids hooked up with the right leagues and people that support kids' martial arts and, and mixed martial arts primarily – it's like the biggest hit of the night. Two yeah. kids get in there and they look better than any adult on the card. I have and to say just, the, you know, the growing up with it, the kids yeah. at your school look exceptional. The like, when, from what I've seen, they they're they're very crisp with their movements, and you can clearly see how like what they've learned from you and the systematic way they've learned from you, like the the way they execute their movements. It's it's pretty cool oh. to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to, you know, give it up to my kids at my school because they train harder than any other team I've ever seen. And I've, I've gone all over the place, uh, all over the country, seen all the best teams, competed against all the Gracies, all, all the big schools. Mm-hmm. And I've never felt like my team has met its match. You know, we, we've had tough tournaments and we've lost matches here or there. We don't win everything. Um but I've never gone anywhere and went, wow, man, those kids are killing mine. Right. <laughs> what, what are they doing over there? 
You know, I never hear that. And you um, hear them saying that about you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. All, was, all the time it happens. And, I was going to say, it sounds like my career in uh, high school basketball coaching, but <laughs> wow, well, they're killing my kids. It's, I, I took a personal interest in training the kids because I grew up as a kid training martial arts and um, yeah, tell us how you developed your pedagogy for the kids because it sounds like it's working. Um, well, I mean, number one, anybody that's in the martial arts industry knows it's hard to survive in a an industry where you're relying on strictly adult students to come in. You know, adults got girlfriends, wives, jobs, yeah, drama. Yeah. You know, they're in, then they're gone. Kids pick something and they're passionate about it. They they're not doing it to release stress or because they want to be a fighter. They're they're doing it because they like it. Right. And, it's a clean slate. Kids work hard. They never get tired. That you know, if you raise them up right, you don't have to break any bad habits or attitudes. Um, their kids are what you make them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's bottom line that they know what you teach them to do. They only do what you show them to do. So if they're screwing up, it's because you're screwing up as an instructor. If you were doing your job, you'd have your team tight enough that they'd be moving like they're supposed to. Um, it, it's very evident when we go to tournaments. Um, there's tons of videos and stuff on YouTube you can look up with Team Odyssey kids competing. Mm-hmm. But it's – I've had promoters. I'm not going to say them, but I've had some big promoters come to me and ask me to bring my my venture team. You know, <laughs> can, can you bring your, your B-side team to this tournament? Because we have coaches calling us going, we're not bringing our kids if Odyssey shows up. Uh, that's so unfortunate. Like, yeah. I'm like, I can't do that because then that's penalizing my, you know, first string kids. Yeah. I can't do that. And it really makes other academies do their job. When I first started, I think it was 2003, maybe 2004, something like that. I was at Grappler's Quest, which is a huge grappling circuit. It's actually used as a farm league almost for grappling for the UFC. Mm -hmm. Um, There were no kids divisions. There was no kids, period. So I offered the promoter. I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll bring my, my kids over here, and they'll fight each other. Who cares? Right. And then eventually people will start showing up. Well, sure enough, we, we kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. We went everywhere from uh, Mississippi to Texas to New Jersey. We, we went everywhere and competed for Grappler's Quest. And now if you look at the kids' Grappler's Quest circuit, they've got kids-only tournaments uh-huh. where – 1,500, really? 2,000 kids will show up. And this is quite a moneymaker for these, like for Naga and, and the Absolutely. various organizations, right? Way more kids show up than adults because parents will always pay for their kids to do what they want to do where the adult, you know, is penny pension. Yeah. So, you, know, you can't do anything if you can't get the kids out of your hair. We've already right. heard that tonight. <laughs> you know, you're you're going to see a big change in mixed martial arts in the future because if you think about it, all the big sports like boxing and wrestling and different stuff like that. Kids have had the opportunity to train that in the, in the States forever. That's yep, it's always right. been since the day you're born, you, you start yeah. training football when you're two. Exactly. You know, so you look at, you know, NFL players, they all started playing when they were in middle school or whatever flag football. Well, what kind of opportunity did we have in the States for our kids? We didn't have any. That's why you saw a bunch of college wrestlers and uh, judo guys come in. Cause that's all we really knew boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really the first wave of kids you're going to see that had the opportunity to train mixed martial arts as a child. Yeah. From day one and day one and come up and they go, well, Hey, how did you get into this? My mom signed me up for mixed martial arts. How do you think I got it? So I, I wonder how a, <laughs> a kid like that, yeah. once, once they're in their mid twenties, for example, 
would respond to studying an art like Wing Chun or Bagua or that's that's you know, all based on the culture of the academy. That's you know yeah. that that depends on how open minded your instructor was, and um, I don't think that has anything to do with the arts. I think that's all school based. Oh, what I'm what I'm saying is, I, I think that a a kid who grew up like that, exposed to you know MMA in the in the form that you're talking about when they're an adult and no longer maybe interested in competition or whatever, they might be somebody that could become an expert, you know, because they have a, a true fighting background so they true. can learn the subtleties that sure. a lot of Chinese martial arts bring. Cause right. I, I think Chinese martial arts just have a lot of subtleties. Sure. Absolutely. You, you know, it's, it's like a, it's not much different than any other culture's martial art. It's well, just, Oh, hopefully it'll be reinvigorating for the whole scene, you know? Well, Bruce and I have seen this time and time again where we've, we've run into martial artists together and you'll, you'll see, uh, an instructor, you know who I'm talking about, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) well, they do a whole lot of talking about how they would do this or how they would do that. And they preach all these philosophies and Mm -hmm. concepts and principles. And then it's like, okay, well let's, let's touch hands. Let's go. Let's try this. Oh, I don't, you know, then you kind of just got to walk right up to them and get them to do something just to for them to show you that they don't really know what they're talking about because they've never tested it. It's like wanting to go to the pool, but I don't want to get wet. And you know, you can in a friendly way without injuring somebody really test and see if something works. All this shit about you got, I'll have to poke you in your eye or whatever. Bullshit. Who fucking cares? I got to bite you. I got to kick you in the nuts. It's like, well, now I got to stab you. (laughs) Yeah. Fight me. Let's get real. (laughs) I'm going to vaporize you from orbit, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think about self-defense? What like you cuz you also teach, you know, self-defense, things that have nothing to do with sport. Sure. How do you separate them or how do you Well, you know, I always I always break it into self-defense first at my academy. I never teach sport before I teach self-defense. Uh, okay. I have a belt curriculum that's my own curriculum in my school um, that is primarily broken up into self-defense tactics yeah. and then everything else that goes along with the art. Because to me, without self-preservation and uh, self-defense tactics, it's shit. What are you training? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's garbage. It's not worth anything if you can't use it for self-defense. Right. Um, so I always talk about terrain, uh, You know the difference between fighting on mats and fighting on concrete or mm-hmm. gravel. We do a lot of training against fixed objects like the wall or we train, I have a 30 foot cage in my school. So we do a lot of training off the fence mm-hmm. and not, not for sport, but just to learn how to fight up against a fixed you're in a hallway or against the store yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You're, you're never going to be in an open field where you can do a jump spin and heel kick or something crazy like that. It's always in a real life scenario where people are all the time, like where you're standing right now. If somebody yeah. charged you, you'd end up in the wall. So yeah. we do a lot of that. Um, I also do days where, I have my student pretend to be ignorant so they don't move like a martial artist. They just kind of go into that primitive side of their mind and just start throwing punches and trying to grab your hair. So windmilling and windmilling, yeah. you know, p- playing the role of, a, of, of an inexperienced fighter. Right. And, um, which can be dangerous. It can still. be very dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> because so you don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> but it's good though, because I, I've, I've had kids in my school that were phenomenal at jujitsu. Like if you watch them in a match, they're incredible. But I think a lot of it is because they can preemptively see what their opponent's getting ready to do because everybody's programmed like a computer to move a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you take this guy that has no programming at all and you throw him in there, how do you read that guy? Right. You know? So were you training your student to do the right thing by reading all these jujitsu codes or should you have been studying the, the baboon? Right. You know? 
So I, I, I do a lot of revisiting of that. Um, and that's where my military combatives really helped me out. Like I, I can't fake it in my school with military combatives. Um, really bring in reality. And by reality, I don't really mean techniques. Techniques are techniques. Arm bars and arm lock kicks a kick. Right. But, but what do you mean? The format in which they're trained has a lot to do with their success ratio in a fight. Right. So the type of pressure that you're getting when, when you're practicing yeah. executing the movement? It, it, it's what I call controlled chaos. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I put them in a scenario that would be very much uh, a, a likely scenario to end up in in a real life situation. And I say, OK, this this might happen to you. This might happen to you. Go. And it's very sporadic. Like I don't do this big talk thing and get them all ready for it. Right. Um, and then have them go at it. And I only let students do this that I can trust because I can't let somebody hurt the other person or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But my academy's kind of a rare thing, the, the atmosphere that I have. I can trust the majority of my students. Um, nice. But yeah, that's, I would say the atmosphere has everything to do with it. And the fact that I have military in my school all the time, um, as far as I know, I'm, I'm the only school that I'm aware of that trains active duty military free of charge. Nice. And that's something I've always yeah. done since I opened my academy. And for that, I've got military flood my school all the time and train and I've got them that bring buses out and drop them off at my school. Um, so it's it's really cool to see this how civilians act in a military atmosphere. You know, that's straighten up a little bit. Yeah, well, they get all serious because they all think everybody in camo is a GI Joe. But <laughs> right. what they don't realize is they're just moms and dads and kids out of high school wearing camouflage. Right. You know, they're there to train just like everybody else. Um, now, I do change things considerably in my school when I start talking about combat. And by combat, I mean going downrange, uh, you know, in a, in a war situation or, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Right. Like, I don't talk about, uh, you know, M16 training in my mixed martial arts class. I have a combatives class for that mm-hmm. um, where we do stick and knife work and shock knives and all the crazy stuff that people wouldn't sign up for. Right. Signs up for that. I did. The soccer and I feel Nobody great. else is going to sign up for that, you know? So I have classes exclusively for that type of training. Awesome. And uh, while we're on the subject, I mean, we've looked at the sport and the, uh, and the, uh, you know, self-defense side of it. You do a lot of security and bodyguarding and stuff. What, what are some of the key differences between, you know, bodyguarding work and the other stuff? Uh, it's an, a night and day difference, to be honest. Um, my experiences with doing security is it's not really about what you do with your, your martial arts training. It's how you logistically keep your client out of bad situations and, you know, always have that preemptive movement you should never run into anything if you coordinate everything right. right. Um, and, and, and I've, I mean, I've had a couple run-ins here or there where my martial arts has, has helped out greatly, mm-hmm. but, uh, Without Milita- having to do anything extremely violent, though, you're able to control the situation by right. by just subduing them rather than most of the time I don't to have to subdue anybody. Yeah. I can just grab them and just by understanding body weight and joint manipulation, like, I can kind of move them on. <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm personal security for the artist. I'm not like a venue security guy that's responsible for crowd control, right? Um, and I typically look at either you know venue security or local police to be on my team. So mm-hmm. I'll just try to get them away from my artist and then pass them off on to, you know, whoever I need to pass them off on. That way I don't lose sight or lose control of, you know, where my client's going. Mm-hmm. 
though. Yeah. No, I just think it's interesting. A lot of people hear bodyguarding or security, and they kind of picture you sliding down a rail with a pistol in each hand or something. And it's nah, it's mostly in the planning. That would be sweet, but yeah, it, it's not at all. Um, <laughs> I think it's. I would say that doing security for any artist is going to be different based on what artist you're working with. Uh, the demands when I work for a band like Five Finger Death Punch are completely different than when I go work with another group. Um, the hours are pretty insane because you, you know you might have to go out to the clubs or whatever after a long day, and then you know convince the you know client that it's time to it's time to go. You know, yeah. <laughs> and they don't want to go; they're having fun. I, yeah. I can't explain how many times I've had to to do or, that or they might want to um, you know somebody <laughs> might want to fuck with you know like cause a trouble in the bar or whatever and a lot of times with you know you're because you know, you're not drunk while you're doing it you're there working just hanging out drinking a soda or whatever so you know you you see the potential trouble and you remove it you know you separate it you right. get in the middle of it I, without I vividly, it anybody even knowing there was a problem right absolutely i, I vividly remember it was one show i was at with a client and uh, they had uh, an after party that was across the street from the venue. And I, I said, <laughs> we, we probably shouldn't go there. There's going to be a lot of fans over there. <laughs> and uh, when we got in there, it was it was a psycho circus, man. It was fans everywhere. We were just trying to play a game of pool. Everybody's trying to buy <laughs> drinks. And right. so what I strive to do is logistically keep my guys out of trouble. Sure. So when you tell me. I'm going to go do this. You just took me out of a situation where I had control. <laughs> right. You know, So now you're kind of there on a hope and a prayer that shit doesn't hit the fan. But when it does, you're the guy they're looking at. So yeah. there's a lot of um, freestyling that goes on that's not scripted as far as what I would plan my day to be. Yeah. Um, and if I was really good, my client would have never ended up there. But some, <laughs> some days I'm not on the ball all the time. Yeah, you know. We, we call him uh, Little Sneak and Little Tiny Sneak. Ninja. He's got two nicknames. He's, <laughs> yeah. right? Most people only get one nickname. He's got two nicknames. <laughs> well, I hope they pay you well for that. <laughs> no, we only pay him five bucks a week. Yeah. A week? That's, uh, yeah. yeah. I yeah, would renegotiate that He has to pay his contract. own expenses to get out we're, there we're, and stuff. We're working on it. I get paid by getting to hang out with Bruce. Yeah, exactly. There you go. It is and glorious. that's payment enough. Yeah, it's cool, yeah. man. Learn how to work that soundboard. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All the flashing lights and flying faders. So so how how tell the story of how you met Five Finger Death Punch. That's that's a pretty um it's normally we would not employ somebody just that hadn't done a gig before, right? right. But but through a, a certain sequence of events. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Um so I was a Five Finger Death Punch fan first and I went to a show and their head of security at the time was an asshole. And <laughs> I had brought my gi because I knew that Zoltan, the guitarist for this band, trained. And he said, hey, if you want to train, come by and train. So I show up with my gi to the show. And I tell the guy, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here to train with Zoltan. He's like, the fuck you are. And I'm like, <laughs> no, dude, I'm, I'm serious. Zolt Zoltan wants to train. He's like, no, fuck you. You can't come back here. So I said, that's fine. That's cool. No big deal. In the meantime, he starts this thing on Facebook called the Jiu-Jitsu World Tour of whatever year it was. And uh, he invited me. I joined it. And he ended up talking to my dad at first, thinking that, <laughs> thinking that it was me. And uh, anyway, 
Five Finger Death Punch played a gig at the National in Richmond, which is where I'm from. And I invited Zoltan to come out to my school. So he said, hey, come pick me up. So went to the show, picked him up, and he had to bring his bodyguard with him. So I was like, okay. So he brings his bodyguard, and I I train. (laughs) They got their media guy there. They're filming the whole thing. And this guy kept looking at me. He's and big. Zoltan, Zolt, yeah, this dude's huge. Right. Huge, you know, angry white supremacist. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. I, Former. I, 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 Former. This dude's like right possibly. off of American History X. All yeah. right. <laughs> anyway, Alabama guillotine. Oh, man. A big son of a bitch, man. Yeah. Anyway, Zoltan's like, hey, you can't sit over there and laugh and talk shit if you're not going to go. So, hey, you got to get out there and go. So the guy's like, fuck it, I'll go. So he gets in there. And to make a long story short, I, I handle him. It's on video on YouTube. If yeah, it is on YouTube. Oh, we're gonna have to link to that. (laughs) But anyway, I I tore the guy up pretty good. So that kind of became the talk of the camp. You know, I took him back to the show, and everybody started talking. And uh, so Zoltan said, "Hey, man, why don't you uh, come out on the road with me and just teach me jujitsu?" You know, so I'd I'd come out a tour here, a tour there for a couple weeks at a time, and stay on the bus, and you know, tour for two weeks doing jujitsu, and then I'd go home. Well, there comes a time where they're like, "Hey, we're gonna do this gig called Shiprock, man. You gotta, you gotta come, come, come train jujitsu on this boat." I'm like, "All right, <laughs> cool, I'm in." Well, I get there and I ask Zoltan, "I'm like, hey, uh, where's your, where's your security guy?" I'm like, "Oh, I meant to talk to you about that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't so, tell you. <laughs> You're gonna be our new head of security, dig? I'm like, uh, "What? What happened to the guy?" They're like, "Oh, he wasn't good for the position." Um, he did not have the right anyway, temperament that's, right that's, that's kind of how I, I fell into the whole thing and my role has evolved obviously over the years of working with five finger death punch and um i think the longer a security guy stays with the group the better he gets at it the more he understands the artist and the the crew is very important and the lifestyle and being able to adapt i think that, that's all stuff you can't really read about in security books or take in a class it's yeah something right. you learn I hear those rock stars are pretty devious. It probably takes a while to learn all the tricks. It does. Well, it depends on who you're you're working with. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm right up there. You keeping up <laughs> with them? Good, good. Yeah, uh, I, Ivan, you you'll never listen to this, but if you are, you are a hard person to keep track of sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sure and, you know, John John you know keeps his patience and you know and and just yeah, I'm, stays I'm a very cool. patient yeah. guy, man. But I, over the last couple of years, I started getting gray hairs and. Uh, it, it comes from touring, man. Yeah. Five to ten pounds and gray hairs at the end of the tour. Yeah. So, do you have any advice for aspiring martial artists? What, what, like you? I want, I want to be able to defend myself. I've never taken any martial arts. What do I do? How do I do this? I'm not in good shape. I'm in. I have asthma. Okay. Well, number one, do not try to get in shape before you try to do martial arts. Martial arts will get you in shape. I hear that one all the time. Yeah, that's, good point. Um, that's great advice. You yeah. know, I, I think that's very important is to, to not let that stop you from training. Um, I also think it's important that you shop, that you go from one academy to the next and try them out. So meeting the right teacher or meeting, meeting the, the right, right teacher and, and being in the proper atmosphere. Um, you know, the class has a lot to do with it. You could love the instructor and just might not have the right group to work with. Uh-huh. So I think choosing the right school is important. Um, and then I also think questioning, and there's nothing wrong with questioning because it's an industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I right. think it's okay to question the, the instructor on what their plans for you as far as self-defense are. Mm-hmm. You know, because you might go into a school and you sign up for, I'm just going to th- throw something out there, like karate maybe. Sure. Okay. 
well, do they have a self-defense program in karate or are you just going to learn karate for self-defense? That's very different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I urge people to always keep self-perseverance and uh, self-defense at at the forefront of their mind when they sign up for martial arts because there's a lot of eye candy and cool-looking stuff, and you've got to decide what you're in it for. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. Cool. Awesome. Bruce, have you exhausted your notes? Yeah, I I think that I know quite a lot more about John than I knew before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there you go <laughs> i know i certainly do um so you got all so many irons in the fire all this stuff going on you got a big academy you're doing security for five finger what's uh what's next on the list how are you growing your empire over there um well i i've grown my school a considerable amount since i started touring with five finger death punch because somebody has to hold the the camp down while i'm gone right. and i've got high standard in my school so i've got an instructor uh robbie cutrell who's kind of my, my protege right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so growing the school is a priority. And and I've got my hands full with Five Finger Death Punch. And Bruce knows what I'm talking about, man. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a busy man with that band. It's a 24-hour-a-day um, job when you're out oh, there. Oh, man, it, it's, it's busy. You get little um, breaks here and there for five seconds. Yeah, Shut your eyes, five seconds. All right, we got a little kung fu around the corner. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, that's hard. Um, at, personally, for, for personal growth, um, I, I've tried to do more stand-up martial arts because I've been doing ground martial arts my whole life. I mean, my, my ground game is great. Um, I, I've gotten into doing more boxing and stuff like that. Um, and as a career move, the only big growth I can see is I, I'd like to grow my network of schools um, as far as who follows my curriculum and, mm-hmm. and kind of follows in my academy's footsteps. Nice. Uh, that, that, that's about it. And, and last thing is uh, my daughter – Gracie, she trains martial arts and, yeah. you know, she, she's got a bright future in it. So that's great. So that's, that's really what I look forward to next is seeing what she does with it. Nice. Yeah. Cool. A young dad. Yeah. And how long yeah. she, she's been trained since she was like, since she was came born, out the womb, she right? was literally born on a mat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got, you guys yeah. brought the mat to the hospital and that, that's yeah. right. now yeah. they just never left the gym. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's uh, she she's been doing jujitsu and mixed martial arts now her whole life, and um, she just turned seven. So awesome. she, she's great. So I I look forward to seeing what she does with it. She has to do it till she's eighteen. That's the family rule. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> and then you get a car, and it's bye bye. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I won't care. She's been training with me till she's eighteen. She can go do what she wants. Should be all right then. I, I always yeah. hear about how size matters, right? Mm-hmm. And and of course, size can help with some things. But mm-hmm. training with you. All right now, Bruce, don't get frisky over there. <laughs> I'm not talking about my penis size. Okay, good. good. In, in case anyone's wearing I'm Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, the training we do has yeah. nothing to do with penises at yeah. all. No nothing. touching of the penises. None of that. No nope. touching fronts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what um, the, the bass player for Five Finger Death Punt refers to our practice as touching fronts. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it's not very flattering. Like squeezing by in a restaurant, pole to pole or hole to hole. No, Don't get them in, mixed up. <laughs> in regards to the size thing, I, I know where you're going with that. Um, I think being a, a smaller guy has helped me tremendously mm-hmm. in martial arts because um, I'd like to consider myself to be a, a fairly technical martial artist. Very technical. I don't think I could be nearly as technical as I am if I wasn't the size that I am because I would have been able to fall back on, on strength uh-huh. to cover up for whatever mistakes that I might have. Um, but there's also attributes to being big. 
Yeah. yeah. I know that from training with Bruce. Yeah. It's like, dang, man, you reach over there and tap me in my head one more time. But, uh, it's it's right I, there I, in front of my chest. You know, like when I, there when was I a joke in there. Hold on. Hold on. There was a joke in there. I don't, I don't want to hear your jokes. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a joke about you being short though. I know. I hear yeah. I think we saw it coming, Bruce. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, when I, when I train with Bruce primarily when we're on the road, um, it's like we'll train and then we'll get a break off tour. We'll kind of do our own little thing. We'll come back and we'll have new tricks. Yeah. yeah. So when we run into each other, I'll hit him and be like, oh, I got you with that one. And I'll get him like the whole tour. And but then the I'll next go tour. And when he comes back, I go to hit him with it. Can't get it anymore. <laughs> He's figured <laughs> <Yeah>. it out. <laughs> yeah. He's been in the woods. Yeah, I've been using the a couple of things that you showed me on the last tour, you actually. Keep it secret, 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 so, yeah, Bruce. Yeah. It's well Death with stuff. It's it's been um successful. Good. That's the plan. <laughs> yeah, he may have used it on me. I'll have to inquire about that later. <laughs> yeah, you know, speaking about the size thing, one thing I've noticed is kind of universal if if a smaller guy is a fighter, they've had more experience than the big guys almost universally. Yeah. You know, I've got friends that are like that. They were picked on as kids because they were small they you know they often got into wrestling or something like that early on to compensate for that you know and and they've just got well, attitude whereas a lot of big guys are teddy bears because nobody ever fucks with the really big guys you know yeah well i mean that's why i got into martial arts when i was a kid is because i was getting beat up in school and yeah. my mom was tired of seeing me get beat up and i got into martial arts now what that did for me I think it's primarily the, the small people is you need it. Yeah. You, know, you, you need it where, where a giant, big muscle bound dude might not need it to get by. And that dude might not ever get in a fight in his life. Exactly. They don't he mess just with looks them. intimidating. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but when you're a smaller dude and you're walking around, you're, you're not a scary looking guy. So you become a target, mm-hmm. um, which is funny because there's plenty of guys my size that do mixed martial arts and nobody ever fucks with them ever. Because it's the way you carry yourself. Yeah. You know, I think it's an aura that you put off after you've been training long enough. People can just kind of tell that that's that's the end of the game. Yeah. You know, time and martial arts is the universal thing that makes, you know, it it gets into your system and you display it subconsciously and people recognize it. And they if they're predators, if they're targeting people, then they take you off the list (laughs) because that's not what they're looking for. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Um, yeah, it, I always talk about dimensions, change the way people train as far as their body dimensions. And I've gone with guys that have really long legs and guys that, you know, have really long arms. I've, I've rolled with Shaquille O'Neal before. Nice. And I, I was in Miami and I rolled with him and it, it was just the first time I had ever had an extreme dimension difference. Yeah. And when <laughs> I went extreme. to arm lock the guy, like – I was down on his armpit almost, arm bar in the guy, and I had to like climb up his arm and put my foot on his shoulder and one on his chest. And, <laughs> you know, it's so awesome so, to see. But he can't train and move the same way that I move. Right. You know, it's all jujitsu, but you have and to the, modify The way you thread your legs, for example, yeah. when you're guard passing and such, is, is an advantage of being smaller. Absolutely. You, know, you can I, thread your knees where short. I can't. I, I can get into places most people could never get into or get out of. <laughs> so it's it's easy. This big dude puts everything he's got on me, and I've still got room to like break dance underneath of him. I'm good. Nice. But, <laughs> <you know? laughs> 
Give it a little spin and a pose. and then... Yeah, a little, little head spin and pop out. I'm good. Nice. Awesome. Right on. Well, is there anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't catch you with? I know we're running up to the end of our hour, and you've got a uh-huh. life, so. No, I I, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on the interview. And, uh, you know, I think it's a cool, you know, talk because me and Bruce have spent so much time together and uh, done, done so much training and yep. at, at so many different places. Um, All over the world. Well, we'll have to keep that in mind next time. We'll have to do a part two to this. and Absolutely. You know, so yeah, but uh, no, th- thanks for having me. It was great meeting you and talking to you. And uh, you know, Bruce, I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. It won't yep. be too long before we'll be moving back in together. I'm sure. April. Yeah. <laughs> and real quick, uh, tell all the listeners we'll have lo- lots of links in the show notes from this interview. But go ahead and tell everybody where they can uh, find out more about you. Sure, you can go to odysseymma.com. That's my website, and you can also just type in Odyssey MMA in a Facebook search, and that. How do you spell that? Academy. People okay. are dumb. How do you spell that? Yeah, spell Odyssey for him. Uh, O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y. Okay. Like the Odyssey yeah. minivan. They could have Googled it, but, you know, we saved them the trouble. <laughs> I can't, and people train at my school can't even spell the name right. So, <laughs> that's, so on okay. the, that's on the blue belt test, right? That's right. Spell Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> Forwards and backwards. Three guard Damn. passes, two See, submissions, and spell Odyssey. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, dude, this really has been a hoot, and I'm so glad I got to finally virtually meet you. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll we'll do part two as soon as uh, you guys have some more adventures to relate to us, okay? All right, man. Thank you guys for having me. Look forward to talking again. Right on. Take care, John. Jeff Westfall for the Marshall Brain. What if Tokyo never rose? World War II and its effects on the martial arts. Imagine what martial arts in the U.S. and Europe would look like in the year 2014 if the Pacific theater of World War II had never happened. What if, in the late 1920s or early 1930s, the quasi-fascist, militaristic government of Japan had fallen and been replaced by a more progressive one. What if, as a result, Japan had not embarked on a path of military conquest in Manchuria and China? If so, there's a reasonable chance that the Pacific theater of World War II would never have happened. If that were true, I assert that the current martial arts scene in the West would be very different, and most probably far less developed, if it existed at all. One reason that 1949 is the year that China became Communist China is that the civil war between the Chinese Communists and the Kuomintang government 
which had been raging since 1927, was interrupted when the Japanese invaded China in 1937. As a result, both sides in the Civil War made a temporary peace and joined forces to fight the Japanese. It was not until after the Japanese surrendered to the Allies in 1945 that the Communist and Nationalist Chinese were free to resume fighting each other. Hostilities resumed in earnest in 1946 and wound up in 1950 with the Communists in control and the Nationalists retreating to the island of Taiwan, where they set up a government in exile. Continuing with our, with our little thought experiment, if the Japanese militarist government had fallen and had never invaded China, what would have been the result of China's civil war, and how would it have affected Chinese martial arts? It would surely have ended the war earlier, perhaps much earlier. It is commonly held by historians that the interruption of the civil war by Japanese invasion worked in favor of the communists. In our own universe, Communist China cracked down on the teaching of martial arts by private citizens in the 50s and 60s, causing many instructors to flee the country. Three major destinations for these Kung Fu refugees were Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Macau. If the communists had never taken power, who's to say how the lives of these masters would have played out? Perhaps many of them would have labored in obscurity for their entire careers in the hinterlands of China. Korea is another interesting story. Japan, China, and Russia struggled for control of Northeast Asia in the last few decades of the 1800s and on into the very early 1900s. Japan annexed Korea in 1910 and continued to rule over it until the end of the war in 1945. During the 35 years of Japanese domination, the Korean people were increasingly discouraged and later forbidden to express any cultural traits that differed from those of Japan. By the war years, attendance at Japanese Shinto religious ceremonies was compulsory for Koreans. It was forbidden to teach the Korean language, and needless to say, it was forbidden to practice native Korean martial arts. The practice of Japanese martial arts was encouraged, so much so that when Taekwondo was developed after the end of the war, its founders used forms from Japanese karate rather than composing their own forms. What if the more progressive Japanese government from our thought experiment had given independence to Korea decades earlier than happened in our universe? If Japanese martial arts had not been force-fed to Koreans for decades, what would modern Korean martial arts look like? Of course, the war itself had little effect on American martial arts, such as they were, other than the rudimentary hand-to-hand -hand training given to American combat troops at the time. The real change occurred after the war concluded with the Japanese surrender in August 1945. That led directly and immediately to American troops in the hundreds of thousands being stationed on the home islands of Japan and on Okinawa. Many of these young Americans, frequently fighting the boredom of occupation duty, were drawn to the martial arts of Japan and Okinawa as a pastime. A fraction of these became serious practitioners. As these veterans returned to the United States, the Japanese and Okinawan martial arts came with them. Some of them began teaching. Others brought their Asian instructors to America. Over the next couple of decades, Asian martial arts worked much more deeply into the culture through movies, television, and literature and that's much more deeply into our consciousness. As this process continued, 
martial arts from other Asian cultures moved in and out of fashion. If millions of American GIs had never been exposed to Japanese martial arts in the post-war years, how long, if ever, would it have taken Asian martial arts to catch on in the U.S.? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was able to explode onto the scene in the U.S. and Europe after the showing it made in the UFC in 1993. Much of its success came from outperforming American and European martial artists. Without the major influx of Asian martial arts into the post-war West, would this have ever taken place? Would BJJ enjoy the worldwide popularity it now has in our universe, or would it still be a niche martial art practiced by only a few thousand people in and around Rio de Janeiro? This type of thought experiment is referred to by historians as a counterfactual. Many historians hate counterfactuals. It is felt that engaging in them is a pointless waste of time. Perhaps. One thing I do believe is that your knowledge of yourself, and in this case your art, is deeper if you understand the history not only of your art, but of the culture from which it arose, and that a small change in any history can yield a radically different future. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think at my website at rpmartialarts.com. This is Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. Okay, folks, we're back. Back and better than ever. That's right. <laughs> Champagne Lounge always treats us right. It does. So, from ear to ear. Um, that was an awesome interview. I'm really glad we got a chance to talk to him. Yeah, John is is such a great martial artist. You know, I've learned so much from training with him and working out and hanging out. You know, it was, it was a pleasure to you know get to re- record his voice and his yeah. story. Yeah. You know. It sounds like you fellows have your sport there on the road too. So <laughs> we definitely we, do. We will definitely have a, a, a episode two of that. We'll <laughs> just give you guys a little time to collect some more juicy tidbits for us. <laughs> yeah, that all starts up in April again when I start traveling. Yeah, Bruce will become the ghost around here again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm in town, in town, and you know, get to do some training and stuff, and hang out in Atlanta for a while. Yeah, yeah. So. we need to train, man. I need, I need the freaking workout. <laughs> You came out and got a little bit of one last week. I did, yeah. It was I jumped into their sparring group, uh, which they've got a little kind of open to the public sparring group going here in Atlanta. It's Bruce and Tamron, some other people I know. Jose, uh, Jose, yeah, Homero, <clears throat> yeah. He's he's a Sando um, teacher. Homero is, and it's really good, actually. Cool, yeah. cool. Um, I was shocked at how out of shape I was. I have kind of lost my <laughs> breathing technique. <laughs> Actually, it got better, you know, but when I first started up, and I hadn't done anything like that in probably almost a year, you yeah. know, and I was like, oh, Lord, it's taking its toll on you, Dave. <laughs> it's it's good to shake the dust off, you know, and, it is, and it play is. around, and, you know, and it's, it's also, 
you know, it's it's always an awkward position for a teacher of martial arts to go to a group like that. Well, you know yeah. me, I ain't stuck up. Yeah, and yeah. I, I yeah, just and try to keep cool, it yeah. low key as possible. And uh, a lot of teachers would refuse to to you know engage in something like that. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Look, I know a system of martial arts, but I know I'm not walking death either. And even in sparring with friends, it's you're going to get your shit slapped around a little. You're just, <laughs> it's not fighting. You know, that's one thing you got to keep clear in your head when you're doing those things. It's not fighting. It's not like yeah. let me do my most violent thing and then press my advantage. You're you're playing, <laughs> but you're learning distance and timing and you know avoiding certain things. Sometimes we narrowed it down a little, but a lot of it was just you know let's. <laughs> Let's just have a little a little bit of play here, a little free play, and it really is good for you. It mm-hmm. reminds you of things. For instance, if, you, if you've kind of not been training hard enough and kind of forgotten how to keep your breathing rotating when you're doing it, and you have to remind yourself of all that stuff. And or, or why why was I tense? A lot of times when your breathing, you know, gets gets accelerated, it's because you're tense. You know, more than because you've done too much. It, oh, exactly. Or you just, yeah. yeah, you're holding your breath, you know? <laughs> and I'm always correcting people for that. Yeah. And I caught myself doing it oh, half yeah. a dozen times. <laughs> like, you idiot. Why are you holding your breath? You got a little enough as it is. Let it, let it fly. Let it be free. Fill those lungs. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I, especially me and Tamron spent a lot of time working out, which was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oi, Angus. That's, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> That was my impersonation of a dog. And, uh, woof. That was uh, Dave's impersonation of a dog. I think mine was better. I think it was, too. I'm going to work <laughs> on that, Bruce. Um, yeah, Angus made several appearances on the show tonight, <laughs> along with Wiley. Um, but, uh, geez, what was I saying? Oh, um, but, uh, you know, I, I was slapping him around a little bit because that's what we were there to do, have a little fun, you know. And he's taking it like a champ with a grin on his face, and he popped me in the liver one time. I felt that for three <laughs> days after that, man. <laughs> My liver may not be in the best shape of any liver on the planet, but, oh, I tasted that one for a while. I had to stop. like, whoa, right in a, right in a cheeseburger locker. <laughs> yeah, I was just watching the Trailer Park Boys. They have new episodes. Oh, they do. It's a glorious thing. There's a whole new season going to drop, too. They recorded two at once. It's brilliant. I don't know if they do martial arts or not, but yeah. I judge them by the look of them. No. Yeah, any, anything with martial arts you're working on? What are you doing? Me? No, I'm just trying to get my practice back up. Yeah. Um, I really have let myself go. And I'll admit 20, 2014, you know, with the new baby and all the job stuff going on. <laughs> You guys will get to ride along with me next year on high eyes. I sort of recover some of my prior glory, <laughs> but uh, I, I've realized I can't just you know fart around. I got to live to see my kids graduate high school at least, <laughs> at least. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I'm trying to forge a new dedication. This show is going to drop around New Year's, so you know, I'm kind of resolutionizing for you here, folks. Um, uh, new Year's resolution to practice more. Uh, yeah, I'm coming back. I've got my little body weight calisthenics thing all lined up, and you know. I can't hurt myself because I got to work like a dog. So, you know, I'm going to ease back in. And uh, so, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm optimistic looking forward here though. What about you, Bruce? What's uh what's, what are you doing right now? What's your, what's your new year's martial arts resolution? New year's martial arts resolution is to uh, keep on learning. Basically. I, you know, the same old thing, basically just keep on learning, keep on trying to expand, you know, the, the knowledge that I already have and prove or disprove the knowledge I already have, you know, and um, I'm always looking to learn or to expose myself to new martial arts and new 
martial artists that can show me their understanding or or interpretation of something that I might be more familiar with. You know, if they practice, you know, Tai Chi or Bagua or Singhi type of stuff, I might be a little more familiar with that. But um, just exposure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exposure to, well, uh, to as many martial like, arts as I can get. The open sparring group, I mean, you get unique opportunities compared to the rest of us out there on the road, you know, but uh, that, you know, an open sparring group, actually, listeners, is a nice way to do that because nobody's going to have the same background as you. And even though you're not full out sparring or, you know, trying to kill each other, uh, you know, we're, we're not wearing pads and we're standing on concrete most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, you get to see, oh, that, that faint worked. You know, it made the opening I was looking for or, oh, yeah, God, the, it got me that time. What was that? You know, standing on concrete concrete thing you know the hard surfaces and and whatever i i always want to keep self-defense in mind with any any martial arts practice i'm doing you know so hard surfaces or whatever are very important for me to think about and with yeah. ground fighting and such it's something we were working on you know at the last sparring meetup with the atlanta sparring martial arts group which was in decatur and i would have come to that one we actually this but this i didn't see any... one was in smyrna we've been switching well around right the there's locations. been another one since yeah. then smyrna well, that's too far out we, for me. we did i some don't ground, go out there people did have some ground fighting yeah. yeah and yeah on the on the you know hard surfaces and you know, i i find value in practicing throws and and groundwork on the on the hard surface you know it, and it you know it didn't hurt my knees or elbows or anything at all because i was conscious that there were dangerous hard surfaces. So the way I moved was adjusted accordingly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't have the false sense of security when I go to do a shoot or something that I can just bang my knees into the mats. Yeah. You know? And cause if I had done that in, you know, in that environment, I would have probably injured myself. Yeah. Know? And you also have to think if that shoot really works, then maybe he's going to bang the back of his head on the concrete when he lands and we're just <laughs> sparring here. We're not, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going for murder. And that's actually, as we were working on throws, some of the things that we did might have morphed more into takedowns than throws. Right. Laydowns, as Craig for likes safety, to call <laughs> For safety <laughs> yeah. purposes of, you know, if, if I did a full-on hip toss, you know, and dumped you on, on your shoulders or whatever, that might, you know, that might hurt. But yeah. if I just sort of take you down and set you down and then I can, you know, put my knee on your belly and take side control or whatever, that... Who's got yeah. your belly? <laughs> doodle, doodle, doodle. <laughs> he touches it, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> Who's got your belly? You'll uh, have to watch it and see Trailer yeah. Park Boys. It's yeah. part of Gao Bagua, actually, Trailer oh. Park Boys. Yeah, it's, it's in the broken. syllabus. <laughs> it's in my syllabus. <laughs> my syllabus is silly, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, yeah. On that note, um, no. It's, uh, and I just want to say to all the listeners, thanks for hong- hang honging, hanging in there. We've we've had our little dry spells this year. It's been a tough year for me with a new kid, new job to adjust to. But once again, we have not sucked below the waves. We've just been woodshedding, <laughs> and hopefully, you know, we'll keep. I'm aiming to. That's another New Year's resolution. I'll go ahead and drop here at the end of the show. Is I am aiming to get this podcast back to weekly. We did it for a while, and it was okay. But I'm retooling some stuff over here, trying to make it so it works better for everyone, and maybe not shooting for these two-hour epic shows either. Um, you'll still get your occasional round tables where you have a raucous bunch of guys beating a topic like a dead horse. But, um, <laughs> going back to the interviews too, we had, we didn't do enough of them, you know, the last half of the year last year. And I think that's a key part of the podcast. So talking to interesting people is fun. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, hearing hearing all the, I'll the settle for opinions, and... <laughs> you know, of, of about martial arts is interesting to me because yeah, every, everyone's like everyone that you've talked had on the show is pretty much a skilled martial artist that can kick your ass or whatever you know or so yeah. to speak yeah right but they but they all have very different outlooks and backgrounds and and methods yeah, yeah. and it's interesting how many ways there are to skin that cat yeah. as they say many roads to badass them out there folks <laughs> many roads and best of luck to you all on the ones that you're traveling and uh happy 2015 oh my god yeah, yeah. and uh, merry christmas and all that happy new year and Good night. Bruce is going to play us out. Folks, you can find us at www.highoutpodcast.com and all that other good shit. Thanks to Ryan Lindsay for providing all the show notes for us. This year he's been awesome. And all the other people that have helped out sending in your mail, your suggestions. We love you, folks. Check us out on Facebook. Great review us on iTunes. And if you're so inclined, uh, send us good vibrations. Hiya. Hiya. open a bottle of bubbly yeah here's to another goddamn new year and outside two million drunk bostonians are getting ready to sing auld lang sign out of tune i sit there in my easy chair looking at the clouds horns with celebration I wonder if you're out there. Hey, the ice of Boston is muddy and reflects no light. Then take for a night. I slip on it every time. the third bottle of bubbly. Yeah, and I take that bottle of champagne, go into the kitchen, stand in front of the kitchen window, and I take all my clothes off, take that bottle of champagne, and I pour it on my head, feel a cascade through my hair and across my chest, and the phone rings, and it's my mother. And she says, hi, honey, how's Boston? And I stand there all alone on New Year's Eve, buck naked, drenched in champagne, looking at a bunch of strangers, uh, looking at them, looking at me, looking at them, and I say, I'll find mom. How's Washington? Say check the check one two. Check Brucifer one two. Big Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> All right.